When I was 17 years old, I had a friend named Rick, and I was heading to Syracuse University a year later, and he was heading to Auburn University in Auburn, Alabama. And he took me to Auburn for a week. I had never been south of the Mason-Dixon line. And we stayed on campus, and as I got there and I was meeting people I'd never met before, I asked him, what do you guys do on this campus? And he said, well, we talk about football and how we're gonna beat the University of Alabama. Oh man, that's cool. A couple days later, Rick took me to Tuscaloosa to meet a mutual friend. And we were on the campus of the University of Alabama. And I asked the question to the people on that campus, what do you guys do here? It's like, well, we play football, we talk about football, and then we talk about how we're gonna beat Auburn University. Wow, okay, that's cool. I caught up with both of those guys 30 years later. And I asked them, well, what are you guys doing? And the one who went to Auburn lives 15 minutes from Auburn. And the one who went to the University of Alabama lives 30 minutes from where he went to college. And I said, wow, this is really cool. Like, how come you guys settled, you know, in your roots? And one of them said, most of us, it's in our blood. It's part of who we are. Our families are here. And then he paused and he very reflectively said, every now and then, one of us gets away. And they go on to do some extraordinary and unexpected things. Today's show, Welcome to a Climb to the Top, is about one of those who went to Tuscaloosa, Alabama and got away and went on <laughs> to do the unexpected and extraordinary things. Welcome to a Climb to the Top. I'm Chuck Garcia, host of your show today. And our show today is sponsored by Climber, C-L-M-B-R, the most efficient full body cardio and strength fitness machine available with instructor-led on-demand climbing and fitness classes. Key investors in this wonderful innovation include Novak Djokovic, Jay-Z, and Ryan Seacrest. To learn more about Climber, C-L-M-B-R, and purchase one for your home or gym, for $250 savings, click climberclmbr.com and you can input the code CHUCK250 for a $250 discount. Our guest today, the one who got away, is named Henry Hall. And Henry, thank you very much for coming on to A Climb to the Top. Thank you very much, Chuck. I may use that byline on my business cards. <laughs> I appreciate that. The one that got away. And Henry, it's so great to have you here because as Henry and I are speaking, to those of you watching us on YouTube, I am coming to you from New York, but Henry is not coming to us from Tuscaloosa, Alabama, but in fact, from London, England. And Henry, if you, in fact, are one of those who got away, take us back to your roots. Where did you grow up in Alabama? And what happened during your time that you made a decision in your early 20s to either stay or go? Well, I grew up on a uh, cattle farm in uh, northern Alabama, um, about an hour and a half from Huntsville, two and a half hours from Nashville, south uh, Muscle Shoals area. Muscle Shoals Sound, uh, known for its music, but, uh, but I was uh, growing up on a farm, uh, really in the middle of nowhere. Uh, family had been there multiple generations, you know, going back probably 150, 200 years. And, uh, and all my family even now still lives uh, in Alabama. So it is, it is common. It's a nice place to live, which I guess is why a lot of people don't want to get away. But, uh, but yeah, people do stick uh, quite close to the land. 
But for me, uh, and so I, mean, I grew up you know, feeding cattle and going to school and marching in the band and kind of typical, typical things uh, and, and playing football and watching football, I guess, in the rural South uh, required as well. But, uh, you know, for me, it kind of started when I, uh, I would say started, you know, late, late teens. I was always a really vociferous reader um, and uh, always reading about faraway places. And of course, one always goes through different career with what you want to be when you grow up. You know, but for me, it was always uh, kind of looking at things in distant lands, you know, or e even distant in the U.S., like, oh, going out west, living in Montana in the wilderness, or going, you know, sailing around the world, or, I don't know, these kind of fantastical uh, um, voyages of the mind uh, and everything. And then, you know, and as I evolved, always someone once gave me the book, uh, you know, a classic probably, a, a, lot of, a lot of people know, Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Uh, I mean, uh, it's a lot, there's a lot of good self-help books uh, out there, of course. That's certainly one of the, the old, old school ones, uh, but uh, I, I still regularly read that. And that, you know, I think really ignited a, a fire in me that I wanted something, uh, so, well, I won't say something better. Uh, it gives a little bit of value. Let's just say something <laughs> different, something different. And uh, I don't know, a, a yearning, a yearning forward, you know, I mean, you know, I've, I've always been, uh, and with my my, my career trajectory or life trajectory, you know, I, I didn't have a, oh, I, I decided I wanted to become a doctor or a war correspondent or, a, you know, whatever that case may be, or a singer, you know, and, and that's what I dedicated my life to. Mine was more uh, just trying trying to fit a yearning of curiosity, you know, and so I'm, uh, I don't know if you like the astrology, I'm a Gemini, so I'm always, uh, you know, air and exploring new things and particularly communicating. And so, you know, I like um, uh, meeting new people and, and kind of pushing my own self out of my comfort zone. And it's been, for me, it's been a gradual, you know, process, but uh, it started when I was, when I was on the farm and even on the tractor, you know, listening, listening to the radio or and thinking about uh, distant places. Well, you, it's fair to say you literally walked off the farm and you, you made a conscious decision that you were not going back to the farm because you ended up at Harvard Law School. Did you set out to be a lawyer? And then I, I want to get to Wall Street in just a second, but help us understand the path of your career trajectory before we take some twists and turns. Well, it was kind of a, I mean, for, for me, it was, it was a case, and maybe even still is, a case of, of, of expanding consciousness, you know, so, so my... Uh, you know, the extent of my world in, in Alabama was the, the, the greatest educational institution you could ever aspire to go to uh, would be Auburn or Alabama. Uh, I mean, in state, I mean, I didn't you know the, the thought of an Ivy League or different places didn't, I guess I knew they existed, but didn't even occur to me. Um, and so, so, that, so the first step was going to University of Alabama. And, you know, I was not a uh, an attentive student in in most of my school and high school, but uh, but gradually awoke uh, when I, uh, I took an aptitude test uh, once and uh, scored extremely high and uh, kind of woke everybody up and it woke myself up quite frankly. It's like, well, hey, you know, you're 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 smart or you know you can you can you can actually go to university. You know, well, who knew? <laughs> you know, at that point I was considering should I should I I mean even one year I took uh, uh, welding. You know, at the trade uh, co uh, trade college, you know, yeah. was taking going the technical route. So, and that would come in handy on the farm on the tractor. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> because even you know, even even a, a technical trade is a is a step up in terms of earning income, stability, and so forth than an agricultural income. You know, right. uh, but but after that, uh, you know, I then I aspired to to university, went to University of Alabama, and you know, knew that I. Uh, 
to to go where I wanted to go, uh, the only way I would get there is is really through extreme being an outstanding student at University of Alabama. <clears throat> so when I was there, that that was really my focus, and and just gradually conscious expanding that I, after graduating, went to Atlanta and got my CFA, and then uh, wanted to go to graduate school, wanted to go to the best graduate school, and. Uh, you know, awoke that uh, you know I, I wanted to train my mind uh, for for whatever challenge I brought, and that's why I actually decided to go to law school instead of uh, getting an MBA. Um, well, pri- prior to law school, though, and to our listeners, CFA to those in New York more familiar potentially because there's a lot of people in the in the profession, the chartered yeah. financial analyst, and all my days at BlackRock and my days on the investment management side, surrounded by people who were very well educated and passed these exams to become a CFA. So Henry started as a CFA, which is quite an important distinction if you're going to manage somebody else's money because it's a great certification. But Henry, you set out, you went to law school, did you, and you practiced law, if I remember, for a little bit, but you didn't, in the corporate world, Paul Wright, Paul Weiss, if I remember, in, that's Skadden Arps, sorry, corrected, Uh, I knew it was one of those big ones, how how long did you practice law? I just practiced a couple of years there, I mean, and I think kind of the the next uh, kind of expansion of consciousness, you know, if if you use that term, was at, at Harvard was in the early 90s. And so that was also when Eastern Europe collapses, Soviet Union, Eastern Europe opening up. And, um, and that, that attracted me in terms of, I like, uh, you know, even leading up to date, I, I like being in, let's call it uh, edgy, um, transitional type of atmospheres, like the, the standard, uh, kind of corporate track. Uh, one, one of the one of the numbers uh, proceed this number of years, so it never really appealed to me. So I was always working in East Germany or in Russia or in Kazakhstan. But this this kind of transition, something out of the ordinary, where Henry Hall can make an impact, where Henry Hall is different, you know, was was always the the attraction to me. Um, and so that's uh, even in even when I practiced law rather than practicing in New York, I was in Hong Kong. You know, for a couple right. of years. Well, let's, so let's, I, I want to examine just a few things because there's some interesting transitions here that while you were trained to be an attorney and you had a, some finance training, you were at an interesting point in, in your world outcome as you were looking to what was going on in the world. How did you make that transition from being planted in the Northeast of the United States? What was the first thing that set you to leave and go explore and discover other worlds? Um, I think just the intellectual challenge, uh, kind of, I mean, maybe it's a little bit of grass is greener uh, syndrome, you know, where I, you know, when, when I, when I, when I'm sitting and seeing all my classmates doing the same thing, whatever with different firms, but the kind of same thing, and it's a great Mm -hmm. lifestyle, no doubt about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I see this, like, these, these kind of once in a lifetime changes happening, you know, over there, so to speak. And, right. and uh, you know, and I, I've, I've always liked uh, extreme meritocracies, you know, and so, you know, the ability to go in a market like Russia and be doing things for the first time, right. you know, that haven't been done before. E- even if let's just say doing that makes the same amount of income as doing the job in New York, you know, that, that challenges me more. You know, I, I like saying, uh, wow, that's interesting stuff and it's making an impact. You know, I, I guess I keep going back to impact. What impact is Henry Hall making that maybe someone else couldn't make? You know, and well, that, that appeals to me. I appreciate that. And as you were navigating that world, in, 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 as we think about a profession, what were you? Lawyer, 
banker describe what you were becoming? I would say I'm, I was becoming an advisor, you know, because uh, my what I found with my my own skill set is, and maybe my own attention span, uh, you know, as well is, you know, I'm quite uh, flexible and versatile, um, and I and you know I I like new experiences, and so I have quite a, a broad. Uh, background of you know, different countries, different uh, markets, different clients, different uh, skills that I like putting together, I'll say repackaging in unique ways or repackaging, right. you know, again, the, the, in a way that uh, only I could do, so to speak. Right. Um, so, you know, e whether I'm working for, uh, for, for a bank or private banking or a firm or startup or whatever, I, it's, it, it may have a different title, but in effect, it's, it's an advisor. Let me, let me contribute to this endeavor uh, based on my unique set of skills. And that sounds a bit like a, like a, a job interview uh, pitch, but it's, you know, for, for me, and it's become even more pronounced over, over the last several years, is this, um, this feeling of satisfaction of, of contributing and seeing impact of my work, uh, my unique work, my unique, uh, I mean, everybody is, is unique, but my, my own special, uh, way of doing things is uh, very satisfying to me. Right. Yet you have the skills of a lawyer of which you are barred in a state in the United States, yet here you are in yes. outside of that. You tell us about your Wall Street experience. I want to dial into what led you to do what you do, do now, because to our listeners, I think what you do now is the most interesting part of this, because that mountain that you climbed has led you to a place. So talk about the Wall Street experience. What did you do and who did you do it for? Well, I, uh, the transition, uh, so I was working for a law firm and even in, in Hong Kong and a great law firm and so forth. But, um, you know, the, obviously the, the business model of a law firm is you're selling your time, you're billing by the hour. Mm -hmm. You know, and, uh, and and it was uh, you know brutal work hours and uh, you know all over Asia and, and so forth. But that, um, but uh, but a lot of times the work, while from in a macro sense is quite interesting, can get very tedious. I mean, it literally is is editing, offering documents, and and so forth. And again, charging charging by the hour. So for me, uh, it I mean it was a good experience, but became clear is this is not the the most impactful place for me to be you know the mm -hmm. your, your impact is not measured by the hour and in a pyramid structure right your impact is is measured by your your intellectual contribution and maybe it takes you two minutes or uh, you know two months but uh, it, it's it's the results not just by the hour so right. i wanted to to transition into an environment where that was amplified uh, you know the, the, the most possible and that was the trading floor Right. Uh, and Henry, yeah. can you just yeah. just a moment, can you either push your laptop a little forward or back up just a touch? Okay, that's better. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, yeah, so I, I wanted to, I mean, because of my background, uh, I, I wanted to continue in finance. Uh, but where I would have, uh, I'll say maximum impact, it wasn't about time, it was about intellectual contribution. And so with my legal background, um, and kind of, again, this is in the, the mid 90s now, late 90s, um, the particular derivatives market was just evolving and fixed income and you know credit default swaps or all, all these derivative structured trades you know mm -hmm. um, uh, quite abstract things uh, that that fit well with a legal background so so my 
kind of my niche, you know, because I, I always try to have a, have a niche. What is, what is, what am I uniquely doing was to be on the training floor, but not as the in-house counsel, so to speak, but as the, 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 the under, the designer and interpreter of complex legal structures, you know, as for the purpose to, of what? Yes, it, it, well, for the purpose of designing trades. For I mean, it could be tax, could be accounting, but to cut to come up with economic results. So there was kind of, I'll say, the quantitative people that are that are looking at, at uh, complicated models, computer programs, and so forth. The the quants, so to speak, they're always there. But mm -hmm. I was so I was kind of in that category, but on the qualitative side. So I was designing, you know, what would work for the client and, uh, and, but still understanding the finance behind it, whether it's options or swaps or different things and designing trades and structures uh, and so forth for, you know, again, kind of the first of its kind, one of a kind, it was, it was working for JP Morgan at that point. So, we, so what I was doing, what we were doing uh, was uh, from financial standpoint, cutting edge and, and the first, now it's all standard, but that was the first and that appealed to me as well is putting right. my, and at that point, though, you were very much living into what we consider the institutional world, not yes. necessarily, you were certainly helping clients who had an institutional need that is a very big thing that we don't read too much about, and yes. that the consumer probably wouldn't know much. However, what you were doing, and this is where I want to get to what led you to the Middle East and then ultimately toward now and the interesting that work you're doing in the service of others and their lives, you were learning you were becoming a strategic advisor. You were using legal skills. You certainly had financial qualifications that you put to test. So you represented the integration of a lot of skills. Yet, the impact that you were having was very much rooted in the institutional world. Absolutely. Did you have a sense that you were going to gravitate towards something on a much larger consumer scale? Or did you feel you were going to stay in that world for a while? Um, I felt like I would, uh, well, I felt like, and I, and I did stay in that world for, for quite a while. Um, but, uh, you know, af after a while, I mean, I was, I started in New York, then I moved to London, uh, you know, from Latin America to, to Eastern Europe, Middle East and Africa and so forth and doing, doing different things, managing more people, having more business and, and, and all of these things. But the key thing about, uh, all of it is, I mean, it's, it's a very, let's just say economically useful uh, endeavor. Uh, I mean, it makes the, the markets more efficient and the, the flow of capital and so forth, but that's all very abstract, you know? So it's useful, it is, it's, it is purely institutional. Now the institutions are managing money for human beings that have pension funds. And, you know, we all know all of that, but from a day-to-day -day perspective, you know, sitting on a trading floor surrounded by screens um, and designing der derivative trades or, or whatever flowing things, uh, it's very abstract. You don't see the human impact of that. Uh, and for me, um, after a while, that became, I mean, it started off very intellectually interesting. After a while, became less so. I actually wanted to have more, uh, to see more impact of what I was doing, not simply finding money for this big company and this company makes products for consumers or, you know, that, that's several layers removed, you know. So, so kind of the, the work on the trading floor uh, to me, uh, made me evolve and, and almost want to go smaller, want to go smaller uh, and, and, and start honing my skills into more, more human contact and more companies uh, uh, working directly with them rather than on the trading floor. Right. So that led you, in fact, it's 
while there are some steps in between in managing money for some big Middle Eastern institutions, I'm most interested in what you're doing now and who you are doing it for. Before we do that, can you introduce to our listeners and viewers the concept of microfinance? Just a little bit of education, because I think that'll help set up what you're doing today and just provide a little bit of education for those not in the financial realm. Yeah, well, microfinance uh, is from from the opposite from this from the spectrum we were talking about. If one goes all the way to the other end of, of whatever that spectrum is, that's the microfinance. It is the smallest you can think of incremental unit of finance because it it, it is generally uh, low income and subsistence uh, type individuals, individuals slash households. Now, the person that really pioneered that, uh, and, I, and I believe won a Nobel Peace Prize for, or no, not Nobel Peace Prize, but Nobel Prize for it was Mohammed Yunus, you know, right. from Bangladesh and the microfinance and Grumman Bank and so forth. Right. Um, so it's, so it's, it's not a new concept, but it's an ever evolving concept. And so for me, the, uh, you know, with, with, with microfinance, it's, um, and kind of different things, I guess my, my seeking for, for more uh, cause and effect for my own efforts, more impact and uh, satisfaction on the actual results led me to look at opportunities for, you know, working with startup companies and particularly those uh, having an impact, a positive impact, whether it be environmental impact or whatever, microfinance, but but you know, using the old expression, making a difference. You know, but right. um, not simply uh, selling uh, you know a new pizza delivery app, but uh, but actually impacting uh, people's lives that otherwise would not be positively impacted. Right. And so- and let's let's talk about who they are, the organization that you represent now, and the people who are the benefit of what yeah. you are doing. Yeah. Well, I, I started work. Um, I, had, I mean, it, it was a, a bit of gradual, you know, while I was in, in banking and so on, I started working a lot with startups, um, advising some clients, investing in startups and, and uh, investing myself in startups and so forth, and really uh, became interested not just in that, uh, that sector, which lots of people are now, but uh, how I can contribute to that. And again, it goes back to my, my general generalist and broad skill set. I found quite uh, useful for an early stage company that needs a bit of a lawyer, needs a bit of a banker, needs a bit of an accountant, needs a bit of a, you know, these type of things. Um, and kind of in that space and then looking at uh, kind of what's happening now with the trends and, uh, and environmentalism and so forth, I, I came across the opportunity, I was introduced to a company called PowerMe um, that is in Kenya and is a, uh, is a solar, uh, so they, finance solar home systems in the microfinance way, as you mentioned before, it's an it's a industry called PayGo, pay as you go. And the whole industry uh, started about eight years ago where you have an, 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 an enormous amount of the population, particularly in Africa, but it's also true in India and in, uh, in Asia that are off the grid, that don't, do not have electricity. Um, and of course, uh, especially now, even with things such as a mobile phone, no place to even charge the mobile phone, you know, but they're off the grid and they're not going to be on the grid because it's just too sparsely populated. Mm -hmm. Uh, But where the industry sprung up, but these people uh, will buy uh, charcoal or wood or kerosene every day to light their homes. They might buy a day's worth, two days worth, but because they are subsistence uh, farmers, 
they don't have that much money, so they will go and buy it just to use that night. The industry sprung up with, what can I offer from an ecological clean perspective for power, um, for example, solar, um, that would cost this person the same or less than they currently pay for kerosene or charcoal. It would be a better product, uh, the same economics for them, and of course be much better for the environment. And that started about eight years ago. And of course, with the price of solar, which has come down exponentially, the proposition has even gotten better and better. But it, it, we basically sell these solar home systems to, to households that then pay us back over two to three years uh, period. And they pay us a certain amount every day with their mobile phone. Uh, and if, if they make the payment, the system works. If they don't make a payment today, it doesn't work. Um, but that, that's how, because the one thing in particular, and I can only comment on Sub-Saharan Africa where I have a lot of experience, uh, but um, the, the mobile phone and not even just this, not even a smartphone, but the mobile phone is the preferred banking method there. Uh, and mm -hmm. so mobile payments are very, they're, they're everywhere. Um, and even in the villages without electricity, there'll be, you know, maybe someone with a solar charger that sells uh, phone charging services, you know, but, but when, when we're able to provide this type of unit for people, they have lights for their children to study, they have a place to charge their phone, they have a, a clean atmosphere inside their home. Um, and it's just a, a wonderful value proposition for, I mean, it's a win-win-win type situation. And so I got involved with that. Um, um, as well as other impactful uh, startups. But that's my main focus now is working with uh, this company in, in expanding and you know, uh, raising capital, both debt and equity capital and so forth to expand the range of running this, uh, these pay-as-you-go solar systems uh, in Kenya. Well, this is such a wonderful evolution of the skill set that many years ago started very big, very broad with a law degree, CFA, working for very large financial institutions. And your transformation, Henry, to me, is you've taken these skills and you've gone small because you've been able to bring that to people who otherwise didn't have electricity, had, had, to, had to find alternative means to keep their family fed. Could, did you envision getting to this? No, no, that, that's the thing. You know, I, it'd be nice to have a broad vision, you know, even for, I mean, I kind of envision the next steps and so forth, but uh, I, I I've more and more kind of evolved to trust my my gut instinct, you know, and my my emotional guidance system in the the law of attraction I would say, mm. uh, and you know, so I mean, I was not even aware this pay as you go solar sector existed, but I, but I did feel feel uh, a calling to uh, to use my skills in a, uh, I mean, I wasn't drawn by environmental. Uh, I mean, I, I do freelance even for a client earth and environmental legal uh, group. And so I, I've been drawn to the environmental uh, movement to use a, uh, a broad word yeah. uh, for a while, but um, and was kind of, so it, it appealed to me uh, to apply it in that context, but, um, but it, without the, you know, the, the synchronicity of meeting various people and, and coming across this company, I would not have uh, found the opportunity. So I would like to think it's a, it's a, a, a wonderful master plan, but uh, it's more uh, feeling the universe guiding me. <laughs> yeah, in fact, usually to so many of our listeners, particularly my students at Columbia, they, they, they feel they need a master plan. And what I tell them is sometimes uh, the Leonard Bernstein quote, in order to do great things, you need two things. You need a plan and not enough time. And then if you, if you, <laughs> if you go on and you hear about Bernstein's plan, 
He said, it's hardly a plan at all. It's, it's a note at a time. And that's how Beethoven wrote his symphonies. That's yeah, how, yeah. but I, 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 I think this is a really cool story, Henry, because you could not have envisioned each of those turns, but you were dedicated to use your skills in order to make impact. And now you are making an impact in hundred and how many, how many people's lives. But here's the question, Henry, you've learned a lot along the way, but what have you learned about yourself through, through the course of these transitions? Well, I mean, a, a, a few things. I have to always have a variety. You know, I, I need to have a variety of people in, in situations. I need to have a big enough challenge to keep me uh, focused. Um, kind of the cru cruising doesn't work for me. Um, right. And I need to, and it kind of goes back to your earlier uh, uh, question or point about having a plan. <clears throat> I've generally found that I, I, I generally can't sit and think myself into my next moves. You know, uh, I mean, to some extent, of course, I'm thinking and looking at opportunities and assessing and so forth. But, you know, I've, I've had different stages in my life where I was like, I don't know, in between um, clients or in between uh, jobs and like, OK, and I'm just going to I'm going to sit and research and, and come up with and come up with this master plan. You know, what is what area is expanding and what are my what skills with my, my where would my skills fit and so forth. Um, but I, I end up getting into paralysis by analysis. You know, and you have to have some analysis, but I find I have to I have to move because it's only by interacting with people because um, I can also tend to be a bit isolationist myself. But what's good for my soul is being out and interacting with people and communicating um, because only then the kind of the I don't know the the juices of the universe uh, you know flow and the, and that's when the ideas come to me, not by my own uh, you know in a in a tower thinking. Well, that's a very good point. In fact, I want to leave the audience with that. Henry, what you're describing is sometimes it's difficult in spite of whatever brilliance any of us may carry, we got to get out of our own head. And to yes. your point is the way to get out of your own head is to take those skills and start interacting with other people that interact with your heart. Because what you're doing right now is an extremely heartfelt thing. Yet when I think about your career initiation, it was very much of the mind. Absolutely. Absolutely. Exams to pass, certifications. So what do you want our audience to think and, and, and to feel and to do when they look at the world of endless possibilities? What's your advice? Um, well, you have to kind of be true to yourself. I, mean, I guess it, it's not my advice. It goes back to, uh, you know, ancient times, know thyself. You know, you, you know that, and that, I guess that can take uh, so internal analysis, but know, know yourself. Uh, I mean, you, you need to... Uh, I mean, I mean, for me, uh, I I like reading philosophy. That's something that I've increased. I like Stoic philosophy. That's kind of my in, internal guidance system. But like one of the, um, the the quote, I read it every morning. Like today's quote was from uh, I think it's Plutarch uh, that said, uh, you know, who watches the watchman, you know, uh, and so meaning, you know, I I have my philosophy and my values and so forth, but I also have to be aware of you know, the, the other atmosphere and my body and, and my, my own weaknesses and so forth that, uh, that I have myself. So, you know, know thyself, but also don't be afraid to take risk. You know, things always work out, you know, in, in my, uh, I mean, it's a cliche, things always work out for the best, but in, in my uh, experience, um, you know, I, I'm not quite risk adverse because I have found uh, that things do work out for the best, but you got to take the risk. I think as, as we uh, spoke to begin with, if you're not 
making mistakes. You're not mm-hmm. uh, you're not trying hard enough, or you're not you're not getting out of your comfort zone, uh, and that's the only way it works. Indeed. So a couple takeaways here before we we come off the air. As Aristotle said, knowing yourself is the beginning of all true wisdom. And I think Henry Hall is certainly your story underscores the Aristotle philosophy of knowing thyself, but also don't be afraid to make a mistake. Be afraid of not learning from them. And if you take a risk and you have to adjust, we adjust. That's just part of the human spirit. Well, and I, and also going back to your earlier comment about the people from Alabama, I've generally, you know, I've lived uh, quite a lot internationally in different places. And from time to time, even in Dubai or Moscow or I don't know, different places, you'll come across someone from Alabama. Uh, <laughs> and I, and I'll, I'll tell, I'll tell people, I say, look, when you, when you meet someone from Alabama in this context, you know, you may or may not like them, but you should at least give them an extra minute because they probably are, have an interesting story. <laughs> Indeed. In fact, we opened that way. We're going to close that way uh, that, that Henry Hall walked off the farm And while he did the conventional University of Alabama route to begin his education, his education took him all the way all over the world and now to Kenya to bring electricity and a sense of scale to consumers who need it is a world way beyond Wall Street. That for those who want to go to Wall Street, we don't often think that the skill set may help us to make the world a better place. Part of the theme of this show is yesterday I was clever and I wanted to change the world but today I am wise, so I am changing myself. And Henry, what you have done is you have changed yourself and I'm grateful for you coming onto the show. Well, thank you very much, Chuck. It's been a real honor and pleasure. Indeed, and to, to, to our sponsor, uh, I'm Chuck Garcia, host of A Climb to the Top. You can always reach me at chuckgarcia.com. Our show today was sponsored by Climber, CLMBR, the most efficient full body cardio and strength fitness machine available with instructor-led on-demand climbing and fitness classes. Key investors in Climber include Novak Djokovic, Jay-Z, and Ryan Seacrest. To learn more about Climber, go to clmbr.com. And to buy one, use the code CHUCK250 at checkout to save $250 on your full paid offer. Climber also offers a convenient interest-free financing option. And it cannot be combined with any other offers. But thank you very much for listening. As always, we appreciate that. Please send your comments. We'd love to hear from you. Henry, coming to us from London, England, which has taken it on the chin. And it's been a lot of tough places in the COVID world. But I know London and we are, we are, our hearts are with you guys. You had a tough time as we all did. But you guys are in the news for Brexit. Then you're in the news for COVID. And I hope that things are well now. We're getting better. Well, L- London is London. It's been here a long time and it will be here a long time. And continue it will. And Henry, we are going to sign off tonight to our listeners. Good night. And to Henry, thank you very much for your contribution. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much, Chuck. Bye. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.